Coming up next on Grace Alone Radio, a message from the Primitive Baptist Pulpit. For further information about this sermon, locate our contact information on the feedback page at gracealoneradio.net. Now here's today's message from the Primitive Baptist Pulpit. If you would turn in your Bibles to Revelation, the third chapter. If I follow the impressions of my mind, I want to speak to you this morning about lukewarm Laodicea. In Revelation 3, we'll begin reading a bit in verse 14. As you're turning there, let's don't forget that these are some of the last words spoken to the people of God by Jesus himself. He sends this directly to John, and then John pins it down and takes it directly to these churches. There are different groups in the world that think that this represents some kind of bizarre timeline or ages, and nothing could be further from the truth. These, these were real churches, just like Bethel Church is a real church with real people in it. These were real churches, and the Lord sent messages to these real churches. So let's read the last message to the last church that is listed there, the seventh church. And if you look at the geography of these churches, you'll find that the Lord in his mercy, you know, he didn't, um, he didn't make John zigzag back and forth across the country. He, he put these in a geographical order so John could go one to the next, to the next, to the next, and then he winds up at Laodicea. That's the last one. And he says in verse 14, And unto the, ch- the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because... Thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now can you imagine what it would have been like to hear through the grapevine or through various channels, they didn't have texts and they didn't have emails, they didn't have phones back in those days, but word came to you as a member of the church of Laodicea John has been released from the Isle of Patmos. That church was most likely praying for his release. And so they hear that he's been released and, oh, that's great news. And not only that, God has given him, Jesus has given him a vision and he's written it down. And guess what? Your church, Laodicea, was named in that revelation. And you would just be on pins and needles until he came to speak to your church. And then he reads that. (laughs) Can you imagine how the congregation, the people wilted whenever he arrives and he begins to tell them that Jesus has singled out their church and he's not very happy with them. Now I hope that this message that we preach here this morning will convey the heart of God in matters like these. I believe that it does, especially as we look at one of the examples from the Gospels. But I want you to see the heart of God towards his people. As a good father, as a good parent, notice how he addresses them and he he doesn't leave them hanging. He lets them know what the problem is. 
You know, anytime that my dad had to discipline me, he let me know what the problem was. He didn't just walk in and grab us a, a, a paddle and start paddling me. Of course, if he had, I probably would have had some idea what he was doing it for, being the little, the little devil that I was. But nonetheless, he didn't come in there and just grab a paddle, turn around, and started paddling me. You know, he would sit me down and he would say to me, now, son, listen, this is what you've done. And I'm going to have to discipline you because, you, you know, you can't do what you did. You know, and that was hard for, to confront him. I, I could hardly look him in the eyes. But the worst part of being disciplined by my loving father was after he would paddle me, after he would discipline me, and I was crying and trying to get the tears out of my eyes, and he'd say, he'd look at me, he'd say, now look me in the eye and tell me that you love me and come and give me a hug. That was the hardest part. I was, sometimes I'd be so mad. Maybe he didn't spank me enough. But sometimes I'd be so mad or hurt. Thinking, how can he do that to me? I don't want to hug him right now. But that was a good father right there, let me tell you. God rest his soul. He did that every single time. And it, it, he probably didn't do it enough, but he did it a lot with my brother and I. But he would always tell us to look him in the eye, tell us that we loved him, and come and give him a hug. Now that's a loving father on this earth. And your heavenly father is even greater than that. Infinitely greater than that. So he is disciplining this church. And I want you to notice he doesn't just show up at the church and start wearing them out in the sense of they don't even know what's going on. No, he addresses what the problem is. He says you are neither cold nor hot, but you are lukewarm. Now, let's have a little geography lesson. And if you've heard this before, well then great, it's just a reminder. But if you've never heard it before, I think it's interesting in terms of just how relevant the Lord's lesson is and how real it is to a real church. Okay, Laodicea, as I told you, was kind of on a circuit of a road that it, where these other churches could be reached. And so it's the last one where John winds up. And to the north of Laodicea was a town called Heropolis, and to the south of Laodicea was a town that I'm sure you're familiar with called Colossae, which is the book, the letter to the Colossians. Okay, Heropolis was a spa town. It had thermal waters at Heropolis where people would go and they would, it was considered to be a place that would, would help them with their health. It was a, a place where they would go and they would bathe in the hot springs. Maybe you've heard of Hot Springs, Arkansas. This It's famous for its hot springs. As a matter of fact, a few weeks ago, my family and I traveled to Yellowstone and they have all of these geysers and such. And that is not a place that you want to go and, and uh, get in and take a bath in or, or get wet in because it's so hot and it smells like rotten eggs. It's horrible. <laughs> Some of you may have been there. It's terrible. These hot springs of Heropolis, the hot springs of Arkansas, hot springs, Arkansas, not like that. It was where you would go and you would, it would have a, a, a medical value to it, or at least they thought it did. And so they would go and they would bathe there in the hot springs and they would see that as a way to get well and to, to help their health. And by the way, most of the water in Heropolis stemmed from the hot springs and it was hot. It was, it was warm water. It was very warm. It would burn you even. Then you go to the south and you'd find the city of Colossia, which was known for its deep wells of water, which were very, very cold. And then stuck in the middle from the, to the north was Heropolis, to the south was Colossae, and here's Laodicea. And Laodicea in the middle had a water problem. 
They did not have good water in Laodicea. They didn't have the cold wells and they didn't have the hot springs. So being ingenious like they often were in those days, they built aqueducts. And the aqueducts would carry cold water from Colossae over to Laodicea. And the aqueducts from Heropolis would bring warm or hot water down to Laodicea. And it was many, many miles. So do you see where this is going? By the time the cold water was piped in from Colossae and got to Laodicea, and by the time the hot water was piped in from, from Heropolis and got to Laodicea, what was it? It was lukewarm. So don't you think for one second that the Lord Jesus Christ is oblivious to our circumstances. There is a reason why he addressed that church as lukewarm. And I guarantee you that from the time that he addressed that church as being lukewarm, that every single time one of those church members took a drink of water, which they had to every day, they thought about the letter that the Lord had sent to them through John. So it may not be like it was back then where you're living in Laodicea or whatever, but I want you to know that that message, this entire book is just as relevant as it was back then to the folks that every time they took a sip of water, they thought about what the Lord was saying to them. If we think the Word of God is not relevant and it's not applicable and it's not something that's fresh and something that's new to us every day, then we're missing a great a blessing in our life. <laughs> So you see, there's a reason why Jesus said you're lukewarm. They could drink their water and understand what lukewarm meant. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried. I don't really know anything that's good lukewarm. Maybe there is, but you, know, you like things to be hot if it's a hot dish or a drink, or you like things to be cold if it's a cold dish. I prefer the hot dishes, <laughs> and when it comes to coffee, I certainly prefer hot coffee. I'll drink a little bit of the cold stuff every now and then, but it's just not the same. It's just not the same for me. And especially it's not good whenever it's set around for a while and it's gotten lukewarm. I'll put it in the microwave and make it hot. So you see the point that he's making there. He says that you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, and I will spew thee out of my mouth. Now, spew is not a very pleasant picture. But if you've ever tasted something that just wasn't right or drank something that just didn't taste right and maybe you turned aside and just, just spewed it out, the Lord is saying that that is how the church at Laodicea tasted to Him. They were not hot and they were not cold. They were like the water coming down from Heropolis and that's hot and coming down from Colossia that's cold. And when it converges in Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And by the way, let me just say this. You couldn't drink that water when it got there because it had traveled so far. They had to boil it. They had to do something to it, you know, in order to make sure that it was safe to drink. They had a real problem with the drinking water in Laodicea. And you could just picture someone taking a drink of something that doesn't taste right and just spewing it out. That's the image that's given there. And he doesn't say, well, I'm not going to tell you why it's this way. He says, because you're going around saying that I am rich, have a lot of wealth, I'm increased with goods, I have need of nothing. And you don't even know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, I think if you'll read the letters to the, the seven churches here, you'll find that this to Laodicea is the worst. 
you know, you can imagine some of these church members probably got together and said, you know, from Smyrna, they said, well, I'm just glad he didn't say what he said to us, to the ones at Laodicea. And the ones that over here, you know, at Philadelphia, I hope it didn't make them prideful because he really didn't rebuke them, you know. Well, they, I'm glad he didn't say anything like they said to lay, like he said to Laodicea. We got problems, but we don't have what Laodicea has got. You know, you can always find somebody that's worse off than you. But wouldn't you hate to be that person who is the worst off, you know? So this is by far the most severe rebuke to any of these churches. They had a perception of themselves, but their perception was not reality. They perceived that they did not need anything. And if you, know, if you think about what Jesus says about the people of God being salt and light, you know, salt is something that you shake on, you know, your food, and it's also a preservative and so forth, and light is a very powerful agent. You know, Jesus says that if the salt has lost its savor, then it is good for nothing but to be cast out. And I tell you that when we have a mindset like this right here, that we have need of nothing, we have moved over into the category of being good for nothing. And one of the reasons that this stays uh, on my mind, and I think about the church of Laodicea a lot, is because I believe that describes us in, in America, in American society. We are the richest country on the planet. I know gas prices are high. You don't have to tell me anything about that because I just got back from a 4,000-mile trip out west. <laughs> and they're even higher out west. I know gas prices are high. I know recession may be upon us, but we are still by far the richest country in the world. And in many ways, from a natural standpoint, we have need of nothing. But listen, there's many rich people in the Word of God who served God. Now, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of rich people described in the Word of God that were very wicked and did horrible things. But you take men like Abraham. He was a millionaire, maybe a billionaire in terms of goods. What about a man like Job? He was a millionaire, billionaire in terms of the goods that he had. I mean, he was a real millionaire. He didn't just have a blip on a computer screen in a bunch of financial institutions somewhere. He had the cattle, thousands, and he had thousands of, of the actual goods. You see, he was a true millionaire billionaire maybe and he was a godly man just because we have riches just because we have goods doesn't mean oh gosh well we've got to become paupers so that we can actually effectively serve god now you do read about a young man who came to jesus who was a the rich young ruler now there's a man that needed to become a pauper he that was his problem that was his weakness that was his the, the besetting sin of his life is he put too much emphasis on the goods that he had on the wealth that he had he needed to become a pauper he needed to divest himself of those things that were distracting him, those idols that were more important than serving God. And did he? No, he did not. Now, I hope, I always said, I hope and pray that maybe later he did. Who knows? <laughs> he was a child of God, no question, but he had idols in front of God, and you know what? He knew it. That's why he came to Jesus. And if you have idols that are in front of God that you bow down to and that you serve prior to bowing down to God, Many times we know it. It's kind of a nagging thing there. It's kind of a gap in our life. And like the rich young ruler, we often come to Jesus and we say, what, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? Now, you remember the rich young ruler was asking about how to get to heaven. He was in a, a system of belief that that's how you got to heaven. But the truth is, we as believers in grace need to come to the Lord and say, Lord, what do I need to do? How can I become better? How can I become more godly? How can I grow more in grace? Because there may be things in our way just like the Laodiceans. What was in their way? They had riches. They had goods. 
And they said, well, since we're so well off, they considered themselves to be the richest of all of the churches among the churches that, that associated with each other. I would even go so far to say is they probably looked down on the other churches and think those poor Ephesians, you know, those poor Colossians, they just, oh my goodness, they're just so lost over there. They don't have what we have. They're not at the status level of living that we are. I can, I, no doubt, they probably thought that way. But look at the reality of how they really were. The Lord who can see through those goods and can see through those riches, He looked upon them and He said, you're wretched and you're miserable and poor and blind, and naked. Aren't you glad that someone would come along and tell them what the real problem was? I've dealt with that through the years in the ministry. Sometimes people don't want to hear what the real problem is. And I've had to tell them again, and again, and again, and again, in a loving, speaking the truth in love kind of way, and they just would not, they just didn't want to hear it. But it's a beautiful thing, it's a beautiful thing, when a child of God wants to hear the reality. That's where repentance comes. That's where revival comes. I tell you, child of God, I wouldn't be here today if some preacher hadn't told me the reality. And It wasn't like he set me down and said, hey, bud, you need to do this. It was listening to the preaching of the gospel. God has designed the preaching of the gospel to help us to grow in grace, to come to the reality of what's going on in my life. Am I lukewarm? Am I hot? Am I cold? The Lord would rather you to be hot or cold than lukewarm, see? I'm so glad that a minister of the gospel had the courage to stand up in front of me and whether he knew it or not, he's preaching the truth about the direction of my life. He's reading my mail and I don't even know if he knows, knows where I live at the time. You know, God's reading your mail. God's looking at the truth of what's going on in your life. God sees what you need and He has designed the foolishness, as the world would look at it, of preaching to address those things. I tell you, I wouldn't be standing here today preaching over here in North Carolina if it wasn't for a man of God and men of God standing up and preaching and helping me see I need to repent. I need to do better. I need to work on some things in my life. I'm doing what I want to do and I need to do as the Apostle Paul did and just stop and just look up and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? I tell you, that's a revelation in your life. It's a refreshing in your life. You know, I never realized just how selfish I was until I came to that realization. Now, I know I'm still really selfish. I know I am. But I came to the realization, it's all about me. It's all about what I want to do. It's all about how things are going for me. And that is the farthest thing from the Christian walk. Lord, what would you have me to do? I want to go in the direction you would have me to go. I want to do the things that please you instead of pleasing me. See, I believe that these people were miserable. Jesus said, in effect, in reality, you're miserable. But I think when you got down into the details of their lives, they knew that they were miserable. Because those riches wouldn't give them what they need. Those, thing, those goods would not supply for them the things that they needed spiritually. They were miserable people. And they said, well, we've got it all. <laughs> Isn't that an ironic situation? So the Lord said, I would rather you be hot or cold. It's a great thing to be on fire for serving the Lord. It's a great thing. You think about maybe when you joined the church. You were so excited and you were so fired up and you were so ready to serve the Lord. And a lot of times I've, I've encountered people, including myself, you were know, ready to convert people all around you to the truth. And then you realize nobody really wanted to hear it. <laughs> 
or you started talking about it and they started looking at you funny like, have you gone off the deep end? Are you, have you lost your mind? <laughs> and then you kind of shrink back and you kind of shirk back from that. Don't shrink back. Don't be intimidated by the fact that the world, the, even, you might even say the, denom the spiritual world, the denominational world, don't be intimidated by the fact that there are so few truth believers out there. It may hinge on you getting on fire for the Lord to find those children of God out there because I'm telling you, they're miserable. They are. For years, I've been looking for children of God who were discontented with what they were doing and by the grace of God and the open doors that God has given, I found them. God has shown them to me. Now, I can't tell you that every single one of them came running to the church of God, but some of them have. And whether they'll let me go an inch with whatever opportunity comes along or whether we can go a mile with whatever opportunity comes along, I'm not going to shrink back from that which God has called me to do. Listen, several years ago, I've been on all sides of this, shrinking back, being afraid. I've had people tell me I was going to hell because of the way I believed and all types of different things. Now, when they were telling me I was going to hell about the way I believed, I was not being very nice about how I delivered it to them. <laughs> That was back in high school. You know, one of my best friends said, you believe that way, you're going to hell. And I was like, well, I probably deserve it. You know, we weren't being very nice to each other. So I learned that the word of God says to speak the truth in love. And you get a lot more, you, you make a lot more progress that way. Because <laughs> that's God's plan. But I remember several years ago, we hadn't had any truth conversions for some time. And I actually began to pray. I actually began to think about it. Lord, you know, Lord, give us opportunities. Give me an opportunity to spread the truth. You've been so good in the past. I, mean, I know there's people out there that are, that are wanting to know the truth and they're under the burden of the work system of this world. And then this thought came into my mind and I went, yeah, but you know, if you do open that door, I'm going to have to unteach them. And my goodness, that's a lot of work. <laughs> Whew, it takes a while for some people you know, to be untaught. And, and immediately when I thought it, you know, that's a bad thought. I shouldn't be thinking that way. So the next person that came along was uh, future elder Luke Hegler. And he asked me to go to lunch with him. I had preached his grandfather's funeral, and he asked me to go to lunch with him. And so in the back of my mind, that little, that little thought was gnawed at me. Oh, well, you know, if he really is interested in the truth, oh, my goodness, it's going to take a while. Down in the mully grubs, woe is me. <laughs> Having to live up to the thing that God's called me to do. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so we sit down at the table, and we small talk, and... He says, um, after we got the small talk out of the way, he looked at me and he said, I want to talk to you about what primitive Baptists believe, about predestination. And he started naming off all these things that he'd already been studied. He was already prepackaged with, with a lot of truth. And I was like, oh, that's the Lord showing me. I'm here lukewarm thinking, well, I'm afraid I'm going to have to teach somebody, unteach somebody. And here's this guy the Lord sends already prepackaged, ready to go, ready to out of the gate, ready to go. That's how the Lord works. He suffers fools like me. But we all get lukewarm. We all fall into that category. And we think, well, I'm doing well. I've got the money in the bank. I've got the bills paid. Everything's going my way. Let me tell you, child of grace, that's a, that's a bad place to be. The Lord tells us right here, He would rather us be hot or He would rather us be cold. You can reach people that are hot or cold. Now you can reach them. I would prefer to reach people that are on fire for serving the Lord because I think they're receptive. <laughs> but then there's the other category of people that are just anti what you believe. Now, I believe these are children of God. 
You know, I've had people get very angry at me over articles that I would put in the paper, and I'm talking about the local newspapers. Even as, as, as recent as the last couple months, I put an article a few weeks ago, a month or two ago, about mass murder after some of the mass killings and the school killings that had taken place. And there's a fella in one of the towns, and he thrives on responding to some of the things that I put in there. And when I put something like that, you know, he responds, and it's, it's not very kind. But I have learned through the last several years to not respond to him or write back, you know, a letter to the editor in response to his letter because there's people in the community that read that article and they respond instead of me having to respond. So I've learned through experience, Romans 5, you know, just, just let it run its course. And who knows? Who knows? That person who's cold, that person like the Pharisees were to Jesus. You know, there were some Pharisees that came to see the truth. There's a man named Nicodemus who Jesus sat down and absolutely blew his mind with the Word of God. In John the third chapter, you find him a few chapters later, some time later, he is defending Jesus and they're condemning him for that. And then you find him several chapters later, they're coming after Jesus died on the cross, coming to put spices upon him. Don't you know Nicodemus thought it's too late? Uh, it's too late. I, I should have. I, I, I wish I had. I wish I'd have taken that opportunity. And now he's thinking in his mind, he doesn't fully understand that Jesus is going to rise again. He's thinking it's too late. Child of God, it's never too late. Let me tell you. For the child of God who sees, maybe I'm being lukewarm. Maybe that I have fallen into that pattern of lukewarmness. As we all do, as I have myself. And it's never too late. The Lord comes to us. And I want you to notice He doesn't come to us paddling us without telling us what's going on. And if you want to think about it, he's really not even paddling them. He's not even spanking them, if you will. He's speaking to them. Now there's a couple of my children that a word will fail them. <laughs> I mean, you just say, honey, you know, you, this, that, you, know, you did this and here they go. <laughs> you know. And there's, a, there's a, another one that will remain nameless that when he was very small, it was just... I said he, didn't I? Well, I gave it away. I've only got one son. So. <laughs> he was very hard-headed when he was very small. And you know, it was just one of those deals. that it, it, You could say a thousand words, but the only thing that would really speak to him was that, uh, was that paddle, <laughs> which is about the only thing that would speak to his dad, too, <laughs> back when he was little. But you understand, these are words that Jesus is saying. Look at what he says in verse 18. He says, I counsel thee to buy of me. <laughs> he said, he said, I'm not here to spank you and wear you out and send you into the corner and send you off somewhere or kick you out of the church. He says, I counsel you. I'm bringing my words to you. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. What does that mean? That means look at what I have done. Look at how I live, Jesus is saying. Look at what I went through whenever I faced down with the Pharisees and whenever I dealt with with sin and with wickedness and look at how I handled it and I didn't shirk back. He said his face is a flint to go and do what God had sent him to do, his father had sent him to do. He says, counsel of me, look at my life and buy gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. This is a different kind of wealth. This is a different kind of wealth besides what you've got in the bank or lands or goods or things like that, houses and riches. This is the riches of suffering for the name and the sake of Jesus Christ. 
You see, how could men be beaten and be mocked and be made fun of and come out of that and be rejoicing to, that they are counted worthy to suffer shame for the name of God? Well, that's one of those things that he's talking about right here. When you have your eyes on Christ and the things of this world don't matter anymore and you get on fire for serving Jesus, it doesn't matter what they say, it doesn't matter what they do, that you'll count yourself as unworthy to suffer shame for the name of Jesus. You see, we're, we're just happy to go along in prosperity and say, well, I've got everything in order. But what about suffering shame for the name of Jesus? That's a different category right there. He's telling these rich people who have all of the wealth and all of the goods and the richest church, richest location around, if you will. He says, I want you to understand to experience me like you should. You should be experiencing what he's talking about in verse 18 where he says, counsel of me to buy gold tried in the fire to be rich to have white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that they may see you see they couldn't see christ they were too busy looking at their goods they were too busy counting their money they were too busy counting up their lands and they were too busy content in just saying i have need of nothing and that makes us good for nothing he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. That means to get on fire. <laughs> Be zealous. Zealous means it carries the underlying meaning of heat. You know, get on fire for serving the Lord. You know, speak to God. There is no, I mean, it's always been important, but there is no more important time than now to speak the things of God to the people of God or to the people in the community. Because so many people are lost. So many people have those gaps in their life. So many people don't understand, have no foundation of the Word of God. And if you've got a foundation of the Word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. You see? Speak those things in a loving way. I've said this back home at church before. If you don't have a loving way about you, then don't speak. <laughs> don't do it. It won't do any good. But if you have, if you have the speaking the truth and love, then it will do good. It's just sowing seed. You say, well, I thought that was the preacher's job. Well, it is the preacher's job, but it's also our job as church members too. You say, where do I start? You start with those that you know. You start with family. You start with friends. You start with coworkers. You know, there's deed ministry described in the Word of God, and there's word ministry. If you have a relationship close enough with somebody that you can talk to them about it, then just in a loving way, go to lunch and bring it up. <laughs> How are you doing? Have you ever read this verse? Have you ever, you know, think about how little we talk about the Word of God. Right. And look, one of the reasons that it's that way is because of denominationalism. You know, everybody's kind of segregated over into their different little groups. And God forbid if any of those would intertwine or we actually talk about something and we actually see, well, you know, this may not be exactly what the Word of God says. People are just kind of scared to talk about it. That's one of the devil's designs. You know, the basic root meaning of heresy is to choose sides, to divide. It doesn't necessarily mean, well, there's some doctrinal point that somebody is getting off on. It can mean that, but the basic meaning is to divide people. You know, you come here, I like you better, so I'll keep you with me, but I'm not that crazy about you. That's the root of heresy right there. And we're living in a day and time when, when even we, we're even afraid at times to talk about the Word of God. There's no greater time than now to be talking about the Word of God because there's so little known about the Word of God. So notice what he says in verse 20. Behold, 
I stand at the door and knock. He didn't say, now come over here, I'm going to get my paddle out, and I'm going to wear you out. <laughs> you notice that? It just says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, I'm, I know I'm speaking to good old Baptist here, and I don't have to tell you what that is not. <laughs> right? It's not God knocking on the door of the heart, trying to get in and save a, a person who's dead in sins. So let's leave that where it is, but let's talk about what it is. He's come to the church at Laodicea. If you picture whether the church met in a house, I figure they probably did in one of those mansion-type houses of one of the very rich members. That's probably where they met. But if you want to picture it in terms of how we picture church today, of the building where we assemble, if you could just think about, you hear a knock on that door back there. Knock, 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 knock. And you think, well, who's there? Well, here is a picture of Jesus knocking on the door of the church. He's not even in the church. How crazy is that? And I often wonder, and I don't just wonder about other groups, I wonder about us as old Baptists and other groups. I wonder how many other places is Jesus outside knocking on the door of the church and He's not even in there. Here is an image. Christ was not in the midst of that church. He's outside knocking on the door. Let me in. Can I come in? I'd like to come in and worship with you. Isn't that the craziest thing you've ever seen? The most important Focal piece, the focal point of the centerpiece of the church is on the outside. And everybody's just kind of going along, ho-hum. You know, we don't, we don't really have need of anything. They had need of Christ. He's on the outside of the church. And this is the beautiful part I want you to get right here. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, any man, woman, or child hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. It doesn't take the whole congregation jumping on this and getting zealous. He said, I just want one person. It just takes, you know, the Lord's not, he does not asking for much there, is he? You know, John said in 1 John, he said, the, the commandments of the Lord are not grievous. It's not grievous for the Lord to say, here I am, I'm knocking. And if just one person will come and open up the door, I'll come in and it says, I'll sup with him. You see that? Now we think about, you know, like an aggregate type of revival or a, a church, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But here Jesus is talking to this lukewarm church. He says, I just need one. Just one person will make the difference. You say, Brother Tim, can, can I as one person really make the difference? Absolutely you can make the difference. I tell you, child of God, through the years the Lord has used one or two people in many different circumstances and great revival comes. But you have to, you have to internalize that and say, He's knocking on the door and He's seeking me to open the door. Now, what, how about that if we all got up and went and opened the door, you know? It's still personal. It still has to do with you. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man, woman, or child will open the door. That's the farthest thing from talking about salvation. It's talking about the deliverance of this church is what it's talking about. Now, let me give you one other example of how good the Lord is to us. You know, He didn't shut that door down. He didn't extinguish the candlestick. He just said, I'm knocking. And if any man will come to the door and answer, I'll sup with him. Wouldn't you love to sup with Jesus? To just sit down and fellowship with Him. Well, you can, child of God. Through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, He's designed the church of God, and He's the head of the church. You can sup with Him. That's what He designed it for. They were not supping and fellowshipping with Him because all this stuff had gotten in the way. Look at Matthew, the ninth chapter. And here we find Jesus giving some interesting instruction. In some ways, I think it's very similar to what He gives to the church at Laodicea. Let's read in Matthew 9 and 9. Jesus passed forth from thence. He saw a man named Matthew 
sitting at the receipt of custom, and he said unto him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? They were offended by this. And Jesus hears that, and he says, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. And here's what I want. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He says, go ye and learn what that meaneth. In a sense, that's like Jesus knocking on their door and saying, hey, let me in. I'm not talking about salvation. I'm talking about go and understand what I'm saying to you. So you know what? If I'd have been a good old Pharisee, you know what I would have done? If I read the Word of God, the Old Testament, and I was familiar with the Scriptures and the Minor Prophets, I'd look at my fellow over here and say, hey, you know, he just, he just quoted from a, a book in the Old Testament. He just quoted he, he just quoted Scripture to us. You know, the Scripture, the Word, the living Word of God is quoting the Scripture. <laughs> the one who wrote it is telling them. So I'd look at this other guy and I'd say, hey, shh, let's get out of here. Let's go read where would we go read? we go to the book of Hosea. we look in Hosea the 6th chapter and I'd go pull it out and I'd look and I'd say, Hosea 6 and 1, come and let us return unto the Lord for He hath torn and He will heal us. He hath smitten and He will bind us up. After two days will He revive us and the third day He will raise us up and we shall live in His sight. I'd pause right there and think, hmm, <laughs> listen to what Jesus has been saying. Three days, what? Raise up the temple? Anyway, He says in verse 3, then shall we know if we follow on to know the Lord. What's the purpose here? To know the Lord, to understand why he's eating with publicans and sinners. To understand why he would call a man like Matthew to come follow me. His going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. Oh, Ephraim, the Lord says to Ephraim, that was another name for Israel, by the way. Oh, Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? You know, it's the Lord talking to himself. It's like a parent sitting there going, oh, this boy has lied. This child has lied. This girl has done something she's not... Oh, what am I going to do with you? That's the parent sitting there going, should I spank them? Should I rebuke them? Should I just, you know, just kick them out of my house? You know, God forbid. But you understand, it. the Lord is going through trying to figure out. And when I say trying to figure out, he knows what he's going to do. But as a parent, he's going, what do I do with these kids? They're so bad. He says, O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud. You ever seen a morning cloud when the wind was blowing? You look at it, hey, there it is. You look away and you look at something else and you look back, where'd it go? It's gone. The morning cloud just goes like that. He says, as the early dew goeth away. You know, you better go out and check out the dew really quickly because as soon as the sun comes up, it is, it's gone, you see? And he's saying to them, your goodness is just like a morning cloud or the dew that just, it's just gone. What's wrong with you, Ephraim? And what's wrong with you, Judah? And he says, what will I do? How can I address this situation? You know, the Lord had many options available. At one point, you know, he completely wiped out his nation uh, of Israel and then he wiped out the nation of Judah. You know, there, he had all kinds of options. He had all kinds of tools in his toolbox in order to address the issues with his children. So what does God do? He does the same thing that he does in the book of Revelation when he comes and says, you're lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. And what does he do? He does the same thing that he did when he spoke to the Pharisees there when they said, why is your master eating with publicans and sinners? It says in verse 5, he says, therefore have I hewed them by my prophets. By the prophets. 
He sent the preachers to them, and that is a mercy. You understand that? You say, how do we know that? I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and thy judgments are as the light that goeth forth. Why, Lord? Verse 6, for I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. You see what the Lord is saying? He's saying, I could have done, I could have handled this situation any way that I wanted to, and I would be sovereign and just and right, but in mercy... I have sent the word of God to you to tell you that the Laodiceans, you're lukewarm. You need to repent. I'm knocking on the door. Let me in. I could extinguish your candlestick. I could do any number of things that I choose to do. But in mercy, I have sent my word to you through John the Apostle to preach to the Laodiceans. Child of grace. When you think about what God could do, and you think about how he does do. That's not very good English, is it? How he does. You can't help but marvel at the mercy of God. I've told the people of God for many a year, God is so good to us. He is so good with his blessings upon us, but he doesn't owe us anything. I mean, think about it. Not having to burn in the lake of fire is a major blessing. If he never looked your way again, if he turned away from you and said, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. Uh, you know, you're in time out. I'm not going to have anything to do with you. I'll see you in heaven. <laughs> he would be just in doing that. If he said, I'm going to spank you every day of your life. By the way, my granddad and my, my great uncle got a spanking every day of their young life. Sometimes their mother would just get up and look at him and say, I look like I've done something wrong. And she'd spank them. <laughs> and they had. <laughs> God could spank you every day of your life. He could turn a sh cold shoulder to you and not even pay attention to you. But God in His mercy, in addition to blessing you from not having to pay for your sins, He just heaps abundant blessings upon you like a good parent does. See, I don't have to do anything for my kids other than feed and clothe and house them. <laughs> but I do so much more because I love them. And I'm nothing compared to God. I'm nothing. So me standing here before you today preaching the word of God to you and God not coming to us and spanking us or cold shouldering us or saying, I'll see you in heaven one day. I'm so tired of, of your rebellion. I'm so tired of, our, of Tim's lukewarmness. You know, the very fact that he speaks to me through his word and the spirit of God stirs me from the word of God. It's a mercy of God. So he looked at the Pharisees and he said, go ye and learn what that meaneth that I will have mercy and not sacrifice. The whole point of him sitting around the table and looking at those sinners that had done such horrible things in their life and the, and the men like Matthew and the fishermen like Peter and the others, you know, he's sitting there interacting with them. It was the mercy of God that he would come, the Son of God would take on flesh and he would interact with sinners. And the Pharisees just stood back and said, that's just wrong. Jesus said, go learn what this is all about. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. I'm going to have mercy on my children. I'm not going to kick them to the curb. I'm not going to cold shoulder them. I'm not going to wear them out every day. I'm going to have mercy upon them. So I will speak with them. And the Pharisees went off and they didn't get it. Several weeks later, they come back again. And they're doing the same thing, that finger pointing. Why, why, why? And Jesus said to them, If ye had learned what that means, I will have mercy and not sacrificed. You would not have condemned the guiltless. You catch that? 
that's just more mercy than I can comprehend. He's walking around with these guilty, filthy sinners, talking with them, smiling at them, touching them, healing them, preaching to them. And he sees them as guiltless. <laughs> Only God and his mercy in heaven could do that. So child of grace, as, the, as you hear the preaching of the gospel, as you experience lukewarmness in your life, which we all do, and we, and we need to be hot or cold, I'd much rather be hot. He says, be zealous, get hot and repent. Just remember that it's the mercy of God that enables you to do that. It's the mercy of God and the blood of Christ that the Lord can look at you who once was a guilty sinner. He can look at you and say, do not condemn the guiltless because they're mine. Is that not the, the, just the crux of the message of the gospel? He's paid for your sins. You're guiltless. Now let's get on fire. Let's repent of being lukewarm. He's standing at the door knocking. It's the mercy of God that He would come and knock on your door and say, answer, answer, come, let me come in and I'll sup with you. Don't you want to sup with Him? Oh, I tell you, I stand before you today as a, as a foolish person who once supped and, and fellowshiped on the things of the world. And there is no comparison, no comparison to supping and fellowshipping with Jesus. I'll tell you this little story. When Sister Tracy and I were living in Nashville, one of the turning points for me, we would, we would go home a lot of times on the weekends, and we'd go to church on Sunday morning, and we'd leave out on Sunday afternoon in time to get back to Bethel for night service, where Brother Lonnie Mazingo Jr. was preaching through the book of Proverbs. And that was life-changing for me, for somebody actually telling me you know, how I need to be living my life. So one particular time, we were running a little bit late, as we often did, which was my fault, not hers. And so we got up there a little bit after 6 o'clock. You know, that was not the best side of town back in those days. You remember the church's location has moved now. It was a pretty shady side of town. The area had gotten worse. So Sister Trace and I pulled in. We were about 10 after 6. We were the last ones there. Nobody else was outside. The deacons had left the door. You know, they were not standing at the door anymore. And I walked up there to that door, and it was locked. The door was locked. Now, that may have not meant anything to anybody else, but it meant a lot to me. I thought, this is symbolic of my life. I am locked out of the church of God. <laughs> and, and we didn't knock on the door because we didn't want to disturb what was going on. We just quietly turned around and got in our car and left. That was a turning point for me. I said, Lord, I don't want to be locked out of the church anymore. I don't want my life to be headed in such a direction that I feel like I'm on the outside of the very thing that you have provided in mercy to sustain your children through this life. That was a turning point for me. Do you feel locked out of the church? I tell you, that's a sad place to be. I've been there physically and spiritually. Let's get on fire for serving the Lord. Let's don't live in lukewarmness. May the Lord bless you.
You've been listening to a message from the Primitive Baptist Pulpit. Would you like to hear this message again? You can find additional airtimes for this sermon by consulting the schedule at gracealoneradio.net.